Uh, yeah, so today's reading is Psalm 43, which you can find on page 815 of those uh, church Bibles. And starting at verse 1. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Good morning. Thanks, Cam, for that uh, um, announcing that. We are indeed very excited. I'm not sure why they call it morning sickness, because it's uh, all day sickness and all night sickness. Um, uh, but it's, uh, we're just thankful to God that he has answered our prayers. Is that too? He's continuing to answer, answer prayers. I pray for strength. Apparently her um, hormone levels, the HCG, are incredibly high. I don't know what that means. Maybe twins or triplets. Or, um, some old wives' tales would say maybe it's a gender change, but look, we're just going to be thankful and praise the Lord with whatever uh, comes our way. So if you have your Bibles, please, please, keep, them, um, please keep them open. Uh, we're just going to uh, dive straight in and unpack as we go. Uh, read verse 1 with me. It says, Vindicate me, my God, and please my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Verse 1 is going to describe what's going on in the psalmist's life. What makes his situation painful is that he feels he's attacked from people who are deceitful. And he's asking God to stand up uh, for him. Fingers are being pointed there we go. Fingers are being pointed at him unjustly. He feels trapped. He feels that people are accusing him of doing something he didn't do. Now, the verse doesn't go into any sort of specifics here, but have you ever felt attacked in some way? Maybe from someone you love, from a relative, or maybe those words have been twisted in some way that it's so far from the truth that it's, that it's hurtful. Uh, maybe that's that work colleague. I remember at university, I was in a science uh, class and um, the lecturer would, would constantly sort of say things to undermine my faith and ask me questions to sort of put me on the spot. It was hardly the time and place to be standing up and having a constructive conversation about Jesus. It was a passive-aggressive attack against my faith and I felt quite uh, belittled. I felt quite... Uh, secluded. But for the psalmist, and I'm sure for most of us, the attacks, uh, it's never ever single-layered, it's always multi-layered. Um, so the second verse is going to describe what's going on in his heart in response to this situation. So let's have a look. He says, you are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? We can see his response to these circumstances and what's going on 
inside his heart. God's his hope of surviving. God's his safe place. We sung about it this morning. He's the stronghold, the mighty fortress. If I need to go somewhere for protection, it's going to be you, God. But right now, God feels like a million miles away. Like God doesn't even care. Maybe you were singing that this morning and feeling that. Where are you? Maybe it's because I'm a new parent. I, new parent again coming up, but I still am a new parent. Miles is only 14 months. Whenever Miles starts to cry, I want to run to him. I want to comfort him. I want to pick him up. I want to console him. And Miles knows that. You can see the relief on his face. And when I open the door, he's standing up in the cot and he sees me. And, uh, but the psalmist uses the words in verses 2. Uh, he uses the words to go about. For another way of saying he's searching for some kind of relief, but he can't find it. He's circled back on himself and he's still in the same uh, predicament. Part of his heart, part of his heart is uh, taking refuge in God. He's running to him, and, he's, uh, and he knows that God hasn't let him go. God, you're, you're my stronghold. But he's perplexed as to why, why God's letting his enemies get the upper hand. Why do you turn your back and let the enemies make me miserable? There's darkness around him, and he feels alone. Notice the repetition of why in verses 2. He says, why have you rejected me? Why must I go about? Morning. We know what this is like, don't we? Have you ever caught yourself asking, why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my loved one? The psalmist is wondering why the Lord isn't doing things according to his own thinking. I mean, the, the answer always seems so obvious, doesn't it? This is what you should be doing, God, but why isn't it happening the way it should be happening? This isn't uncommon for many of us Christians uh, today. This divided heart, this torn heart, this perplexed heart. A heart that just wants questions answered. We all want that, don't we? Now, we may not share the same circumstances as the psalmist does here, but any circumstance in our life can be a trigger for this torn, for this discouraged heart. Lord, there's an obvious thing for you to be doing in this situation. Why are you not doing it? Maybe it's not you that's asking this question. Maybe it's someone you know, someone you love. But this is the predicament. God, this university lecturer is attacking me. I can't answer his questions. I feel stupid in front of the whole class. In fact, I feel like I'm making Christianity look stupid. Why haven't you helped? Where's that bolt of lightning just to show the rest of the students that you're real, or at least that sudden wave of wisdom to know what to say at the right time. Maybe circumstances are causing you to question the love of God. How can God be loving and let this person suffer with cancer? It just doesn't add up. You say you'll supply all my needs, but why are we struggling financially? Why is everyone else having babies and we aren't? Even though I have another child on the way, I still remember the pain and feel the pain in that question. Where are you, God, when I need you most? Why are you not showing up? I think for many people, the psalm ends at verse 2. 
That's where people are. They're sometimes there for months. Maybe they're there for years. That's as far as they get. The question is, how do you respond when hurt or under attack or when circumstances seem to be against you? If you're in this psalmist position, how would you respond, I wonder? Um, I think for many, our natural inclination is maybe to defend ourselves. We get in there, re- re- retaliate in some way. We want to set the record straight, make sure that whoever's deceitfully against us knows what's right. The flesh doesn't want to hold its tongue, does it? When someone's made these sort of hurtful accusations against you. Maybe you're the type that just... Uh, quietly takes it and slowly grows bitter. But what the psalmist does in verses 3 to 4 is really, really helpful for us. And we want to know, how does the psalmist handle this? It's kind of a little bit surprising, but it's, it's worth mentioning that it's not wrong to pray that God rescue from our enemies or circumstances. Whether they're people, natural disaster, maybe it's disease or sickness or financial hardship, it's it's right and it's good to pray for deliverance and rescue from those, for healing, because he does it in verses 1. However, I want you to notice there's a shift because this isn't his prime concern anymore. He does two things that are far more deeper, far more significant, and in a sense, far more urgent because there's something far greater at stake now. There's a more important victory to be won than disease and for circumstances, for over people, disaster. The prime concern is what's going on in your heart. This is always the primary concern, even if you don't feel like it is. So what does the psalmist do? He goes about this in two ways. It's in your notes. He speaks to God, and then he speaks to himself. Firstly, he speaks to God. Let's read verses 3 and 4 again. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I'll praise you with a liar, O God, my God. Notice there's not a whiff here of praying for vindication over the enemy or escape from circumstances. This isn't in view anymore. He knows that in this particular circumstance, he's going to leave vindication to God. And all he needs to do is remain faithful and keep his heart in check. He needs to be putting one foot in front of the next. Keep pursuing, keep praising, keep hoping in God day after day, month after month, year after year, week after week. You let God control when the darkness dissipates and how it washes out in the end. God's in control of circumstances. The greater concern is who's in control of your heart. And so he prays to God. And he's going to pray to God in three different, three different stages. Look at verses th- uh, 3 again. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. He's praying for spiritual light and faithful care, or literally truth. His faithful guidance in truth. And he confesses that he needs them to lead him. Why? Because he's in darkness. He knows he's in darkness because he's doubting the goodness of God. 
You're my stronghold, but why have you rejected me? He needs light to expose reality. Now, I've got really big feet. Uh, actually, I, probably, I should say they're proportional, but they are big. I used to be called Ronald McDonald when I was uh, at school, teased a lot. But if I ever go check up miles throughout the night, uh, it's almost guaranteed uh, that I'm going to bang my foot into something. If I turn the lights on, it would be okay, but the darkness makes me blind to things in my way. I don't know how I do it, but I do it. So light takes away darkness so you can see clearly. I remember one of my sisters staying up all night and uh, she was busting to go to the toilet, but she couldn't go because she could see this strange man sitting in the hallway. Uh, but it wasn't a strange man at all. It was a raincoat hanging on the doorknob, doorknob that my dad put on when he came back from shift work. Truth identifies what's real, and in this context, he needs it as faithful care or reliable guidance in truth. God's his refuge objectively, he knows it, but subjectively, he feels rejected, he feels forsaken. You're my stronghold, why have you rejected me? He isn't seeing things clearly, he needs God's light. But he, isn't also, he also isn't processing what he sees correctly. He needs truth. He needs faithful care and guidance. Have you ever had that friend who uh, you mutually encourage each other? You just feel really refreshed after spending time? I have a friend who was like that. He would encourage me and I'd encourage him and we'd be strengthened in the Lord. However, things have changed. He went through a really tough divorce and he's still on the back end of that. And over time, where once he could see God working clearly in his life and rejoicing in that, it's now darkness. He can't see God and therefore he can't see the good. The good's there, it just lacks truth. It's misunderstood. It's unappreciated. I need to be praying this for him, that God sends light and truth. Do you have someone to pray this for? I'm sure you do. Maybe it's yourself. The first stage of the psalmist's prayer is for light and faithful care, faithful guidance in truth. He's praying that God would rescue him, not from his enemies, but from a far dangerous enemy. An enemy that makes the world look more attractive than it is or causes us to doubt God and his ultimate purpose makes the world look more dangerous than it is. It causes the beauty and the wonder of God to fade out of sight. This is a great danger. This is where he is at, maybe yourself. The second stage of his prayer is he wants to be led back to God. Look at 43, um, 3 again. He says, let them lead me. This is the light and faithful care. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. There's a destination to his leading. He wants to be led back to God. I want to be led to where God lives. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to go back into close proximity with God. See in verse 4 again, it says, Then I will go to the altar of God. The place of reconciliation, place of praise and worship, sins forgiven, peace resulting in worship. Maybe you've been living in sin or battling with a sin. Uh, and you know what it feels like to not be close to God? I think we all 
feel that. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, I just don't feel close to God. It's because we push him away, don't we? We feel ashamed. We feel maybe guilty. But the psalmist wants to be close to God. And I think if we're honest, we all want to be there. We all want to be back close uh, to God. The third stage of his prayer is he wants to experience God as his joy. Have a look at 43, 4 again. Then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I'll praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. The final goal of his life is not forgiveness. It's not any of God's good gifts, although they are good. His final goal of life is God himself. He wants to experience God as his delight. Isn't this amazing? Just pause for a minute with me. Here's a man who's threatened by enemies. He feels danger from his adversaries. And yet he knows that the ultimate battle in life isn't defeat of these things. It's not removing that sickness. It's not uh, relieving my financial hardship. It's not being healed from this specific disease. It's not winning a million dollars. The ultimate battle is, will God be his joy and his delight? Will God be the gladness of his heart? Let me ask you, and I'm asking myself this, will God be your joy and your delight? Because I can tell you now, there's a million things fighting for your joy right now. There are a million things from sport, from relationships, entertainment, We could go on, couldn't we? Where does God fit in to that? Can you see the battle we're facing? This is a real battle. We just don't don't talk about it in those objective terms. It's not just external circumstances that seemingly are against us. There's a spiritual battle going on for your affections. There's a spiritual battle going on for my affections. What a prayer we could be praying for ourselves and others. God, I'm in darkness right now. Send light into my world and faithfully guide me towards what's true. May your light and truth drive me towards you, a place of forgiveness and praise, but ultimately to you as my greatest joy. Is God your joy and delight? The last thing that the psalmist does here is he uh, speaks to yourself. I'm not saying any of us are monkeys with a picture here, but it was the best I could find. He looks himself in the mirror and he questions his emotions and then he counteracts them with truth. Let's read verses five. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. The basis or rationale for his hope in God is that God's sovereign. He's in control. Notice, for I will yet praise him. It's going to happen. He knows that despite feelings, God's going to turn mourning into praise. Beneath this subjective uh, surface of circumstances, a deep, painful, good purpose of God. And that purpose will happen because God's trustworthy. And he's not willing to surrender his feelings of depression and discouragement. He's going to challenge those feelings with truth and he's going to bring them to God. And you know what he said to those feelings? 
He's hoping God, hoping God. He's faithful because he's faithfully answered before. Sometimes that's all we can hang on to, isn't it? Hope in a loving, trustworthy, good and gracious God. At the end of the psalm, as far as I can see, nothing's, none of his circumstances have changed. Uh, there's really nothing different from the beginning to the end of the psalm except his attitude. When Joni Erickson Tata was 17, she loved hiking. You can see the picture there. She loved hiking. She loved horse riding. She loved tennis. She loved swimming. One day she went for a swim in a lake and uh, what she didn't know, that this swim was going to change her life forever. She dived into the lake and she hit her head in the shallow. Um, she fractured her cervical vertebrae. She became a quadriplegic from the shoulders down. During rehab, she says she experienced anger. Uh, she experienced depression, suicidal thoughts. Not only, she doubt, not only did she doubt the goodness of God, she doubted her faith in God. She's now written lots of books and she speaks at conferences encouraging people in their faith despite circumstances. Uh, one of the quotes in her autobiography was uh, this. You can, that is a picture of actually jo Joni. Uh, she says, God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. In other words... God can bring good from what would seemingly be adverse circumstances. And I want you to just pause on this. God can achieve perfection through what we might deem as imperfection. God can achieve perfection through what we might deem as imperfection. She said, she preached that to herself, even though she didn't feel it at the time. She couldn't trust it. God, this doesn't seem real, but I'm going to preach it to myself what an amazing perspective driven by faith. I know there's people suffering out here today. It's driven by someone who, despite circumstances, has pleaded for God's light and faithful care to drive her towards truth, drive her towards God as her joy and her delight. And she's preached to herself. She preaches to herself hope in the promises and faithfulness of God to work everything out together for good. This is so helpful what the psalmist does. So should we. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a faithful preacher, many of you may have heard of him, says this. Have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You go to bed at night listening to yourself, you wake up with those thoughts, you live a lot of your life listening to internalised, misconstrued realities, and you often apply them. Rather than grab the only true source of reality, the Word of God, and preach that to yourself. How many people have heard that song um, by Lauren Daigle, You Say? Many people, some people have heard it. I don't, like, I don't necessarily like all the words, but this sort of stuck out to me. She says in the song, I keep fighting voices in my head that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I'll never measure up. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. 
and the chorus goes, you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. Uh, you say I'm held when I'm falling short. When I don't belong, you say I'm yours. And I believe what you say of me. It's preaching hope. It's preaching truth to yourself when all your circumstances are preaching despair. That's what he's doing. He's preaching hope. He's preaching truth to yourself when all of your circumstances are preaching despair. Maybe you don't feel like God's going to provide what you need. Maybe preach Matthew 6.26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant, harvest or store away food in barns because the Heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Maybe you've asked for forgiveness but you still feel ashamed. How about preaching 1 John 1.9 to you? So we know this really well, don't we? If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us in sins and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you feel like life is spiralling out of control. Preach Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Even if you can't see it yet, one day you will see it. We battle this despondent heart by learning to preach truth to ourselves when everything else seems to be preaching despair. In a little while, we're going to uh, sing to ourselves and we're going to encourage each other declaring the faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow shadow of turning with thee. Uh, Thou changest not thy compassions, thou fail not, as thou hast been. Thou forever will be. Maybe like the psalmist, you need to hear that God is faithful and believe that his compassions will never, ever fail. He's been faithful. He is faithful and he's forever going to be faithful to you, even if you don't feel it. Hope in that. Preach that to yourself. Can I just say that the psalmist is in a unique situation here because he's got insight into his own spiritual battle. I think it's more common, and at least it is for me, for many of us in the moment of discouragement to not have capacity to reflect at this level, which is why we need to be praying this uh, for those that we love because they may not have that capacity, which is why we also need to be building it into our own personal prayer life for ourselves We start by praying this for ourselves even in the good times and even in less significant times of hardship. We pray this with our family, for the people that we love, that God would send light to take away darkness. Faithfully care towards that which is actually true and that these will drive us towards God as our ultimate joy. Is God your joy? And with that prayer, practice preaching hope to yourself when all your circumstances are preaching despair. Let's pray. Dear God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that um, it never shies away from, uh, from the hard things, from the emotional things. God, I know there are people are hurting 
out here this morning. I know there are people that are going through some really scary times. Um, I know that, that maybe it's hard to see the good purpose of God right now. But I want to pray this for them. Um, God, and, and as a church collectively, um, we want to pray this for ourselves. God, we never ever want to lose sight of the goodness and faithfulness of God. There are a hundred things that are going to drive us away and pull us away from, from you. God, we don't want to go there. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that it is truth and that it can speak right to our hearts. So we thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.